Welcome to Reading for Attention, the weekly podcast where me, Paul, and me busy mate Sarah chat about a recent book whilst drinking a carefully selected beverage. Now, why have we committed to reading a book every single week and talking about it in a public forum? Well, the same reason me and Sarah do anything in life for attention. I've just done a video. <laughs> <laughs> that was horrible. Right, we're going to have to start again. Okay. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode seven of Read for Attention. Right, I dropped out of the call and the face that I was pulling when I dropped out was really creepy. So, <laughs> so we're going to put it on Instagram. You look like you're from V for Vendetta. Like you've got... Oh my God, yeah. Horrible. That keeps happening. Happens at work quite a lot, and I feel like people just think oh, Paul's had enough. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> that's quite useful, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose. Um, yes, episode seven, and as I was saying before, I got thrown out of the call. We reached four hundred listens today. Woo! Four hundred listens for our last episode. <laughs> no, four hundred <laughs> listens total. But what I was saying here the other week was, if we keep going with this, which I think we should. Then when we've got a hundred episodes, even if one person a day listens to one ep- like each episode, that's a hundred a day. It's just gonna it's just gonna exponentially grow. What we what we need to aim for is quality, no quantity, not quality. But we're already ticking that box, I think. Well, yeah, but the qu- it's the quantity part that makes me feel better about myself. Yeah, exactly. Not the quality. I, I think it's very impressive that we've got to seven. I know seven books that's, we've read. I know that's what I was gonna say. I wouldn't have read seven books probably this whole year if it wasn't for this podcast. So. Well, you read six, really, didn't you? But well, uh... oh, fantastic. <laughs> I've checked it off on my little reading list. How are you? Um, how am I? I'm good. I'm really cold. That's been my overriding. It's become sort of like an emotion now. Like I'm cold. So essentially, I'm just a bit grumpy. I wake up cold. I go to bed cold. It's just nonstop. Other than being cold, how am I? Yeah, good. Good, good, good. How are you? Yeah, I'm fine. I've been working from home today, and sometimes when I work from home, I just get a bit narcoleptic. <laughs> yeah. It's really weird. I actually Googled it today, like working from home lethargy. How do you say that word? A lethargy. Lethargy. Because you say lethargic, but it can't yeah. be le- lethargy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I just I sometimes, I mean, it's not horrific, but I just have to sometimes go for a quick 12 minute nap <laughs> in the middle of the day. When we used to work together and I would quite frequently fall asleep at my desk. <laughs> yeah. So you you had just like generalized lethargy. lethargy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I would wake up with my manager standing over me. It's just always a nice, nice wake up call. Do you want to give her a shout out? No, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, other than that, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of the new variant. I've just been ignoring it. Like I keep yeah. seeing things on social media being like new restrictions. And then if you just scroll past them, it's like they've not happened. Oh, that's a good idea. So what do I even want to ask what it is? What are, are we still allowed to do everything? I can't go to Botswana, which I'm a bit upset about. I know that was um, on your bucket list. I was literally going to Botswana in a couple of days, a couple <laughs> of days time, all packed for bots. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I'm ignoring it too. We're not going to know what, what it's like in for a couple of weeks. The really sad thing is, and my friend Claudia supposedly listens to this podcast, so this will be a test to see if she actually does. So it's her last week, this week, and we've, we had a big night out planned on Thursday. She's moving to Singapore and mm-hmm. she's got COVID. Oh, 
shit. She has to cancel her leave and do, and I'm not going to see her. Oh. Isn't that awful? So, Claudia, if you're listening, which you said you are, so if you're not, I'm going to really text you. I don't care what kind of COVID you've got. <laughs> I hope you're all right, darling. <laughs> all I care about is the fact that you're coming to Edinburgh next month. Is that still Ooh. on the cards? At the minute, yeah. Oh, my God. No, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Let's just ignore it. I think that's. I think the government advice is to ignore it, if I'm correct. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, let's yeah. stop talking about it. Right, let's talk about alcohol. Yeah, woo! This week's book is The Promise mm-hmm. by Damon Galgut. And it won the 2021 Booker Prize. Well done, Damon. And he's South African. The book's South African. Mm-hmm. And my friend is South African. <laughs> I have one South African friend. And she <laughs> very recently introduced me to Amarula, which I believe is a South African liqueur. Tastes a bit like Bailey's, but nicer, I would say. Mm-hmm. So we're having a white Russian with Amarula. So I've put a shot of vodka, 50%, because that's the only one I've got. A shot of Kahlua, a shot of Amarula, and then just a little spritz more Amarula. And then milk. I didn't use cream, I used milk. But again, the recipe, it said two parts vodka, one part Kahlua, and one part milk. I was like, sorry, so one part milk? Surely milk's the mixer, so... I've yeah. made myself quite a big milky, cold, milky, icy drink. Your glass is big. Should I hold the glass up? Let me yeah, see it. I'd call yeah. that a tumbler. So I couldn't find any coffee That's liqueur. Nice. But Shock, I did Edinburgh. I did get the Amarula. How weird is that? Just in Tesco. Oh, really? I know I was going to order it online. And then I was in Tesco the other day. I think I was drunk. Was I drunk? Yeah, because I only go in that Tesco when I am drunk. It's like massive. So I have to avoid it. But there's just this one that it's like a playground. There's so many fun things in there. So Ooh. when I'm drunk, I end up in there quite often and I was just pottering around and I found it and I was like holy shit here it is and and do you know what ever since you've introduced it to me last week the first time I've ever heard about this drink in my life it's now been brought up three separate times this and not is by a me. thing this is a thing oh, is, I learned it, it. some it's... kind of weird effect of yeah I've read about it as well uh, I need to try and find that well but... you look for that and I'll explain what I've made so okay. I've done the same as you but without the coffee liqueur but I forget quite frequently that my shot glasses are doubles so mm. I've got double vodka quadruple the animal one holy hell and then i only had room for a splash of milk so oh, so you did it right then i've followed the recipe quite closely i wish oh shit i should have just put some coffee granules in it for that coffee kick have you got a pod a pod machine i've not got any pods oh uh, right you... classic what mm. But it's quite nice. It just tastes like a very, very boozy glass of milk. Yeah, and I quite like milk, you know. People are really averse to milk, and I'm not. I think it's quite delish. I used to love milk time at school, except when people used to get it in between their lips. Do you remember that? Uh, Oh, that was gross. You know when milk makes your voice just a bit claggy? You can tell when something looks like... Yeah, yeah. Oh, stop. <laughs> um, I found what the thing is. Yeah. So it's the frequency illusion, also known as the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon. Yeah, Bader-Meinhof. Is a cognitive bias in which after noticing something for the first time, there is a tendency to notice it more often, leading someone to believe that it has high frequency of occurrence. And this is why this is what I believe people think spirituality and energy comes from. Right. And it's just stuff like this. Yes, me and too. And I find this more interesting. It is definitely more interesting. However, so this Bader-Meinhof syndrome, again, mm. was first introduced to me earlier this year. And the person that was telling me about it was like, and then, you know, ever since we spoke about that thing, I've seen it loads on my phone. And I was like, it's cookies, mate. Duh. It's like your phone, mm. listening in, showing you stuff that you want to see and all this kind of stuff. But in the spiritual context, when I want to find comfort in it, I definitely do. Oh god, yeah. I like, don't like to think about it being like an actual, just like, would it be a pheno- not a phenomenon? Just yeah, like yeah a, phenomenon. Yeah, I just like to think of it as like, no, this is a sign, because you know, 
I march to the beat of my own po- march to the beat of my own pole drum. <laughs> oh, march to the beat of my own. Po- That's what I do. I march to the beat of my own pole drum. <laughs> I do march to the beat of your drum. Yeah, too right. I've had, um, that's it. I've fucked it. I've had two sips of that drink and I'm. Yeah. Like, oh, so right, do you like okay. it then? Yeah, delicious. I'm going to have maybe three more before I go to bed. Excellent. Okay. So the promise. Let me tell you about what it's about. The promise. Well, it's a family saga which spans four decades. It concerns. How did you say their name? The, the Swartz family or the Swartz family? Swartz. Swartz. Or what would it be in South African? Swartz. No, no. They have a farm that's outside of Pretoria. Family consists of Maney, who is the dad. I can't remember what it's short for. It's not me, but he gets called Maney. Oh, I was reading it as Maney. His wife, Rachel, and then they've got three kids, Anton, Astrid, and Amor. I love the name Astrid, you know. Do you? Yeah, I know it's like objectively not the prettiest name, but I really like it. The reason it's called The Promise is because Rachel, who's the mother, and she dies right at the beginning. It's her dying wish that their black domestic servant, Salome, or Salome. I'm not doing well with the pronunciations. I'm going to say Salome. Okay, I'll, I'll do that because in my head it was just Salome. Oh, God. Right. <laughs> Be given ownership of a house on the family's property. So basically, this white family have a house. Rachel on her deathbed's like, Salome, you're getting this, babe. And that's the promise. And this promise is overheard by Amor when she's a little girl. Yeah, so she hears this promise, but nobody does anything about it. And Amor's like, why are you not giving this house to Salome? You promised. And then a decade later, they reunite at the family farm, the whole family, having not really seen each other that much, especially Amor has kind of gone off and done her own thing. And something happens in that chapter. And then we go 10 years later again and 10 years later again. And I'm not going to tell you anything else that happens because that'd be ruining it. So what it's about. Obviously, it's a lot to do with race and racism and apartheid. So we're spanning these four decades. So lots changes in South Africa and lots doesn't change. Salome is always kind of like this background character. We don't really learn very much about her. And that seems to be a really deliberate choice. And there are also just really self-serving problematic white characters in this family who hate each other and mm-hmm. do terrible things to each other and the more kind of just leaves the family and they all resent her for doing that there's lots of affairs there's lots of religion religion seems to be a theme in this and divorces and affairs and and murders and all of these things that happen over these four decades loads of goss there's lots of goss in this family mm-hmm. I would say which I quite like so tell me what you thought uh, it's difficult because from the off I don't have a lot to say about it like I was thinking the whole time that I was reading it shit what am I going to say about this book but I think it's probably the best book I've read this year if not for the last couple of years no I've not enjoyed a book this much since I read Where the Crow Dads Sing it took me a while to get into because the style is quite experimental it's almost like poetry prose in places there's no real consistency with the style either like it changes in a sentence or sometimes within the sentence yeah the point of view changes with absolutely no context or you don't get any direction you just suddenly in a different point of view sometimes at one time we're in the point of view of some like what are they like foxes not foxes what are those animals like wild dogs at one Mm -hmm. point we get their point of view there was no consistency other than the sort of structure which was by the end I really enjoyed that I knew what was coming like what framework to expect but in terms of style it was nothing like anything I've read before and I did struggle with it initially and I thought oh 
god like why have you suggested this Paul <laughs> and then by probably about page I don't know 70 I was in I was in I cared about these characters so much I cared about the promise I cared about all of it so so much and there's something about those types of books that jump years like where huge things happen but we get left out of it so you get quite a significant amount the first sort of section you get a significant amount of this family's history and like the characters you begin to build their story and then suddenly you've wrenched forward 10 years and there's just something that's always a little bit heartbreaking in that kind of storytelling where you feel like you've missed out and things have happened to these people that you wanted to be there for them throughout and then you don't get that and it just and I mean maybe this is me being a cynic but things tend to just get worse and worse the more you age don't they it's very rare that life gets better yeah and so what you meet these characters and their lives just seem to be deteriorating that bit more and it's just I just love that kind of storytelling because it makes me feel really it just really makes me feel I was like oh my god like a more leaving which I don't think is necessarily a spoiler no is ne- is never really delved into that much I mean you can sort of make up your own conclusions as to why and all of this kind of stuff but then we just don't we don't get told directly and it's just just like the, all of the questions that that then poses around everything. Oh, I don't know. I just love that kind of storytelling because it really makes me, it breaks my heart, Paul. Oh, I mean, that's so nice to hear you so passionate about it. I think, I think it's I knew one you of were the best like books be- ever. <laughs> oh, because you texted us saying, I really love The Promise now. So I was excited. Mm-hmm. But this was quite early on. So I didn't, when we haven't spoke about it since. And no, it, a similar thing for me, like it, took, it did take us a while to get into it again. But yeah, I completely agree. I've been doing some uh, studying today. Mm-hmm. And apparently it can be called neo-modernist, the style. Mm-hmm. So modernist being the tradition of Virginia Woolf, James Joyce, sort of stream of consciousnessy parts of it. And yeah. this kind of weaving in and out of a traditional voice and narrative. And yeah, you're right. Like it was going between first, third and second person, mm-hmm. even sometimes within a sentence. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was third person. You were kind of seeing things because it sometimes felt close to the character and it sometimes didn't. I think a really good example was at the beginning when they're at the, the funeral of the mom and they're all in bed and they're all kind of dreaming about the fact that mm-hmm. she's gone and like seeing her in the house and it's all experienced by them very differently. And I literally got a sense of this omniscient narrator floating through the house, yeah, going in and out of the rooms, like in a really cinematic way and so impressive. Oh, it's impressive because that, like you said, it happens in a sentence, but you get it. There's no, Mm -hmm. like... There was no point where I had to be like, hang on, who am I with now? Or yeah. like, you just sort of flow along with this narration. And it, that's maybe something to do with how poetic and how beautiful some of the description is that you, you do just sort of, it's like being on just the most easy sort of ride ever you drift between. I didn't want to use that phrase I used about Harlem Shuffle with it being Wolfian, but it is quite Wolfian in the way that it does that. But almost like a masterclass in it. There was parts of the only Wolf book that I've ever read that I really did not understand. And then I just had to be like, okay, I'll never get that whereas this there was no sort of backtracking the other thing I really enjoyed about flitting between first second and third person was it brings you in as almost complicit in this world Mm-hmm. So because I guess the promise that Salome is going to get the house, but then there's this idea of the promise to black people in South Africa that had kind yeah. of been given many times. We see different presidents be sworn in. We see them leave. We see laws change. So when Rachel dies at the beginning, Salome actually isn't allowed to own property because she's a black woman. And then the law then changes. So then she can. But then there's kind of a threat that the law is not really going to change. So it's a grander, more 
societal promise that's made. And obviously, again, as not to talk about being a white reader again, but regardless, he does a great job at using the second person. So saying you, mm-hmm. and it really feels like, oh my God, sorry, mm-hmm. I thought you were just talking about these characters and I could judge them and I could just watch them from afar and be invisible. But now you're asking me these questions. Yeah. And there's a brilliant line. And I've, I just finished it today. So it's stuck in my mind of, as I said before, Salome doesn't really feature very much in the book. She's just this dutiful, I mean, domestic servant is probably mm-hmm. what they yeah. might say. And she's, she doesn't feature, even though the promise is about her. And then at the end, it says something like, uh, Salome actually has a house that's 340 mm-hmm. kilometers away, but you didn't care about that, did you? And I was like, oh my God. Or oh, you hadn't even thought about that, had you? Oh, I just and got I was shivers. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> because I hadn't I hadn't because but I believed what he was telling me and I, I hadn't thought about where she lived because I was yeah. much more interested in the gossip of this white semi-affluent family and then I was like shit I've just imagined her doing the dishes mm-hmm. and and feeling sorry for her about this promise I haven't thought about what her life looks like outside of this job mm-hmm. and that was like whoa you really asked me that question I mean this isn't about anything quite as impactful as she's just said but that shift of the narrative voice when it did go into first and it sort of asked questions or it was quite an admonishing tone when we talk about it in this kind of context it sounds shit doesn't it because there were all of these different there was this really poetic beautiful third person narrative and then second person where it was just a bit jarring and then this first person direct where the narrator's asking us questions and then saying things like I think in the first in the first section does a bit of explaining in third person a bit of description and then it goes I mean you get the picture don't you yeah and then it moves it and it's like uh, well yeah I guess I do <laughs> yeah, I think I've never been as part of a novel. It was almost like an interactive experience. Sometimes you felt like the narrator or whatever was on your side at other times. Yeah. You felt like they were judging you. Mm-hmm. At other times you felt superior to them, especially when they went into first person of people like Desiree, who was just to me an absolute nightmare and so when she was having her internal first person monologues I was like oh god I'm so much better than you but then it would yeah. quickly switch to someone else and great for us because we just knew all of their secrets and others didn't like loads of dramatic irony and I found it quite funny yeah there were I don't know if I was meant to no there were definitely moments that made me like laugh out loud especially Anton's character yeah like, Anton one line but did you forget because Anton does something terrible in the booth yes I completely forgot about it. And that. I forgot about it. Me too. And I, I felt like I was... I remembered was now. <laughs> getting on his side almost towards the end. And I don't think that was the intention. Like, he is not a particularly... Well, has is, is he, is he got redeeming features? I don't know. But I think Amor is supposed to be that one that's got redeeming features more than anyone else. But really, yeah, she hears the promise when she's younger. Or does she? She can't really remember by the end. Mm. And then she sort of just fucks off. And then is a bit of a martyr at the end. I don't know. Like, I, yeah. I couldn't work it out. Anton's one of those characters that's, like, morally corrupt or, or you know has very questionable morals and isn't typically likable but is he's I, such a likable character and then on a technical level it's such a difficult feat and I remember speaking to one of my lecturers about it because I was writing something and I was having like a bit of a difficult time with a character and I remember saying to her this character to me is just no longer likable and I'm worried now that no one else will like her. and she was like a good character does not need to be likable. I've got this real thing now about especially women characters who are typically unlikable. And the prime example is Amazing Amy in Gone Girl because she is a witch, morally corrupt. Everything about her is awful. Mm -hmm. But what 
an excellent character and it's like that kind of framework transitions onto Anton but then he's also got these really charismatic I mean, he's really charismatic and he's got these sometimes well there weren't really many moments that redeemed him I don't think like there was expectation for it quite a lot like there were moments when I thought he's going to swoop in and provide comfort or just go against what we now know of him as a character and it's going to be like a real nice moment and that never really happens but that expectation remains the whole way through and I think that's such a must be such a difficult thing to do because everything he does every I can't think of a single thing that he did in the book that was right by anyone you're right and you know what I think I've just realized is that is there some internalized misogyny at play here with me because I've just slagged off Amor who is easily easily Easily, easily. <laughs> I don't. I, was like, like, Shit, I don't know. <laughs> easily, the most redeemable character in the book, and then Anton, who's a bit of a dick. I'm like, no, I don't mind that he did that terrible thing. Because no, isn't he just like kind of sweet, but not really? But isn't he kind of cute? Yeah, exactly, exactly. He gets so many more chances than any I feel of like the others. We have lower lower expectations of straight of white guys, maybe. I found what happened to the dad really funny. I think funnier than I was Unreal. supposed to find it. Or was it, did you find it really funny? Yeah, hilarious. Just so fucking stupid. <laughs> but he was such a stupid man. He was man. stupid, stupid man. And it's, yeah, I think the whole attitude towards death in the book. There's a lot of death. Uh, yeah, I was going to say it's predominantly about death. It isn't, but there is a lot of death. Mm-hmm. And the deaths vary in how they happen. And we get like the pretty standard daily and then we get quite extreme um unique (laughs) circumstances the father's death particularly just being absolutely bonkers and I don't know whether there was this sometimes like sarcastic or quite just cutting first person narration that every now and then came in but it did make me feel okay about the way that some of them had died and the way that not all of them were sort of treated equally I was I was like yeah I'm fine with (laughs) feeling like this one is hilarious because the narration allowed for that I think there were definitely moments that not sarcastic but like a bit would wry be the right word wry like wry a wry smile is the only way that I know that word yeah like yeah a, like a like a nudge nudge wink wink yeah. sort of situation yeah. yeah no I agree and I think that's what made this feel really accessible and what made me really love this book is like so on the cover or on the sleeve it says literary fiction at its finest and we've talked about the difference between literary and commercial fiction and mm-hmm. how sometimes I just don't feel clever enough to understand literary fiction and it's quite I learned a word that's esoteric which means oh, like I always thought op- that was pronounced esoteric it might be it might be because I've only read it and I don't know if I'm using it correctly but basically like when someone talks about something that's so only experts in it would know about it I don't think it's always a negative thing but to me I'm like I feel outside of the circle of that literary fiction whereas this one because it was humorous yeah. and because it literally had the word fart in it it was talking about something being palpable like a silent fart or something like yeah. just and it may be like oh my this is for me as well like I'm allowed to like uh-huh. I'm glad it won the Booker Prize I don't I don't think I've read very, very many Booker Prize winners but mm. I imagined that I'd find them a lot more difficult than this and it's funny because I read two reviews one of them was wholly positive and one of them was mostly positive but had some criticisms and the criticisms were the things that I really liked about it oh really they actually mentioned this fart line and that 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 took oh, and they them didn't out. like that no I think they said it took them out or it was too clunky or it was but that I was th- the whole that was the beauty of this narrative with that there were moments that took you out of it and there were moments that were clunky but deliberately so I never felt as though 
anything was unintentional and I just thought that if there were parts of it that didn't read as smoothly as others or took me out of it and then expected me to jump straight back in and get back on board with it if I couldn't manage to do that that was a shortcoming on my behalf I was I'm just such a big fan of this book now that I'm gonna gonna write to those critics Sarah we've done a fantastic job of talking about that one do you think I think so good that we should tag him in it do you think he's got Instagram I'm gonna have a look I feel like he's not the day. Do you think he's post housewife memes? I bet he's love of Huns. <gasps> Can you imagine if he was love of Huns? That would be the best thing ever. Damon Gal Good. He'll have to have an Instagram because he's not going to have an Instagram. He's too cool. Of course he doesn't. <sighs> have I spelled it right? It's like Gal. No, Gold. I haven't. Oh. Gal good, I put Gal Gut. Oh, still no. What else can I quickly say about this? Let me just see which bits I've highlighted because I yep. trust that bit to bring me back to points that I want I'm to I'm just make. trying to search for his online pleasant. Pleasant. <laughs> I've just found, I'm, he doesn't have an online presence in terms of social media, but I just found a quote from him that said, my family were not raging racists, but they were fairly comfortable with the setup. And that, that just explains that whole book. Yep. <laughs> I've highlighted one line that made me lol. <laughs> what was it? It's right at the very end. And it's at one funeral, like the final funeral. And the congregation are being asked to say things about the deceased. Oh, yeah. And of <laughs> the congregation goes, he was loving. And this person's father has dementia and she's like obviously brought him along and so she goes he was loving next to her her adult father chortles and yells out sexy (laughs) (laughs) and then the guy who's doing the funeral is this hippie spiritual guy and he's like i think we're getting a a bit off topic here like there's a pause and he claps his hands lightly together enough these are all the qualities that describe him. He wants to be talking about like deep shit. Oh, it's, it is like a farce, isn't it? There's a, this yeah. really farcical part of it. And I was like, am I supposed to be laughing? Because it was just like a comedy all of a sudden. And yeah. if you look at the cover, like you wouldn't think you were getting any laughs out of that, would you? Well, this is another it's like thing a child called it. <laughs> Another huge, huge round of applause to Damon. Yeah, honestly, one of... No, I'm saying it, my favourite book that I've read this year. Oh, big words, big words. Well, remember, we've still got Santa Santa Daddy. Daddy. Santa Daddy's coming up. That's why I thought I'll say it now. So what I thought, we've talked about the book for quite a while, which is good. That's pretty good, though. Yeah. Um, So what I've got for us is a bit of a game. (gasps) <gasps> you mentioned in a, a couple of podcasts ago that we played Mrs. Mr. and Mrs. one time. Mm-hmm. So we're going to play Mr. and Mrs. I think that might be pointless or maybe Deal or No Deal, which, by the way, Deal or No Deal is on Amazon Prime now. I hate Deal or No Deal. But can you imagine what it must be like to watch the ones from like 2006 when it was really exciting? They were the ones that I hated. I've not, oh. I, I hate it, Paul. I wouldn't recommend I then. It. I was obsessed with it when it first came out. I used to run home. People and when they, really were. I really felt like they were part of my family. <laughs> right. So this is how it's going to work. I have, I have, there's, there's quite a few ways that it could have worked. And this is the one I've decided on. So okay, just tell yeah. me if you think this isn't the right way to do it. Go but on. basically, these are like who is questions. So who's okay. the... Yeah. Um, 
But what I thought I would do is ask you to step away. Yeah. And then I'll just talk to myself about my answers so that okay. the, the listeners know what my answers are. Oh my God, I love it. So then it's like, I can't lie. You do that and I'm going to make myself another drink. Okay, fab. I'll text you when I'm ready. This is so exciting. Is this going to be exciting for listeners? I don't know. Hopefully. Who cares? We've only got 400. Exactly. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. All right. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Right. Okay. So what I've done is selected 10 questions and I'm going to answer them here. I'm going to be honest about them. And then I'm going to ask Sarah what she thinks. Sarah's quite good. She's usually, she doesn't take offense very much. Well, we'll see. But in my experience of Sarah, she takes things on the chin. She actually sometimes likes it when you insult her. Like we'll play this game called Psych. If you haven't played it, download it. It's Ellen DeGeneres' game, even though she's problematic now. But um, it's basically where you just rip the shit out of your friends. And then you have to guess who's uh, said what. And it's hilarious. And Sarah likes it when you really insult her. Oh, I don't know. Maybe she needs to go to therapy. Okay. So there's going to be 10 questions. The first question is, who is the grumpiest? The answer to that is Sarah. I'm going to write that down. I'm not particularly grumpy, I would say. When Sarah's hungover, whoo, who is the best looking? Right, I'm going to go with Sarah there as well. I'll save some of my jokes for when she gets back. Least common sense, that's me. Best sense of direction, that has got to be Sarah. Right, best driver, even though she only passed her test, Last year, I'm going to say Sarah because I am a shocking. Most laid back. This is a toughie because we're both laid back. But I'm going to say Sarah. Breaks wind most. That, I would say, is me. Who drinks the most now? Again, this is a really tough. I'm going to say me. Next one is who wastes the most money? We're both terrible wasters of money. I am going to say I'm gonna say Sarah and then this is the last one who is the funniest I've saved this one at last because whoa is this gonna be contentious if there's one thing she'll fall out with this it's this you know what oh, it's different contexts I'm gonna say oh, I'm gonna say Sarah I'm just imagining what I say and what she says and she once made this joke about a pharmacist and it was the funniest joke I'd ever heard so I'm gonna say Sarah right let me just text her to get her back right here she comes hello are you back? Have you got another drink? Yeah. Fab. I've got a cup of tea that I haven't touched. I've thought about this loads of times. Say you have to go somewhere. You're like, oh, I fancy a cup of tea. What amount of time do you have to give yourself to make a cup of tea? Nah, mine's half an hour. Half an hour, is it? That's what I've worked out, is that I need half an hour to make and drink a tea in plenty of time. It does take a lot. It does take me usually a long time to drink them. But yesterday I realized it was like maybe seven o'clock and I, had, I was making my tea and I realized that I'd not drank any water pretty much all day. Um, so I was like, I need some hydration, but I'm too cold to just drink water. I'll have a cup of tea. So I had one cup of tea and I drank that like it was water. Ooh. So that was probably six minutes. And then I immediately made a second cup of tea. And that one probably took me about 15 minutes. Mm, but that quick. was, that was um, like, a, I need fluid in my system right now. See, I would never have a hot drink if I wanted fluid. Like My mum says all the time that she thinks a cup of tea is the most refreshing drink there is. My mum only drinks tea and coffee. She doesn't ever drink water. It freaks us oh, right okay. out. And you know what yeah, she does as well? She, this really pisses us off, right? Is mm-hmm. she waits for the tea to be cold and then downs it. I've done that a few times. I think but my mum is a hot, hot, hot tea person. She'll microwave a tea a million times. I thought about this once years ago and I still don't know the answer. Who came up with drinking hot liquid? 
Right, I need um, uh, I need a wee, so I'm going to think about it and get back to you. Okay, because I'm, I'm going to lose sleep. Shall I read out some celebrity gossip? Let's have a look. Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll Google hot drinks. Who first thought up drinking? Oh, what does that say? The NHS, that's cute. Daylight savings time, that's people that are raging. Who first thought up drinking hot drinks? Probably someone that was just dead cold. The science of hot drinks. Oh, which came first, tea or coffee? Tea's history dates back to nearly 5,000 years ago, making it one of the earliest drinks. It is thought to have been first cultivated in China by Emperor Shen Nung in 2700 BCE. I was going to say 2700 hasn't even been yet, babes. On the other hand, coffee was first discovered in Yemen around 900 CE, almost 3,000 years later. What's CE? Right, well, they've not given me the answers there. Hello. Hi. Um, well, I've got an answer, but I don't think it's funny. I think it's probably just correct. Uh, boring. Well, because I was thinking like in China and places, mm-hmm. tea was like such a commodity. Yes. So do you reckon they literally just was smelt these delicious leaves and thought? Brew them. Brew them. But that's really, really boring. But why wouldn't they have brewed them and then thought, I'll let those cool down because my insides probably can't handle this piping hot liquid. That's my point. Is that like, unless they were just really cold, maybe they were like, I'm cold and I'll drink them because I'm cold. That was my thought process. Just then as you were in the toilet. Yeah. I wonder what came first, tea or soup? I'll tell you what came first out of tea or coffee. Tea. Yes. Tea was made 2700 BCE. (laughs) So you're going to say like 2007. <laughs> and coffee was made 900 BC. BC. Right. So what's BCE? What's BC? I thought it was AD that was after the millennia. Not millennia, but after Jesus. After Jesus. Yeah, it is. AD is after. After what? Jesus. Jesus. Oh, it's not in English. It's in Latin. Right. So what? So then what's BC before Christ? But then so right i'll tell you why i knew that paul because i've just googled it uh so it said listen oh my god i've never heard of bce but it's before before the common era almost common era yeah but what is (laughs) anyway right let's get back oh my god there was something called the vulgar era oh god that's where we belong oh right okay okay i'm ready so there's 10 questions here i think what i'll do is just tell you as you go if you got them right because i saved some of my jokes Okay. For right now. Okay. <laughs> so who is the grumpiest? You. Oh, I put you. <laughs> <laughs> because of when you're hungover. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm really grumpy. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> I was like, I'm not grumpy. Right. Yeah, same. I was like, I'm happy, happy. happy. <laughs> We're so happy. Next one. Who's the better looking? Oh, you. I thought you. (laughs) (laughs) No, seriously, let's talk about this, right? Okay. I think my charisma Mm -hmm. adds to my slightly above average looks. Are you saying that I'm not charismatic? No, I'm saying you're beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) No, I would say I am a six and a half. Shut but, up, man. But no, but pe- where then you meet me fucking personality and I'm right up there to seven and a half. I think you are traditionally better looking. 
Like if you put our faces into those generator things, you would be more symmetrical. I look quite Are weird. You kidding? I've got this fucking, I've got a huge set of moles on one side of my face. Yeah, but my jaw goes <laughs> If you doubled my side, I'd look. Yeah, you'd look the same, but just moleless. Yeah. No, all right. I was thinking like moly. <laughs> I, I look like I had some sort of leprosy. <laughs> um, um, oh, well. Zero out of two so far. Okay. Right. Who has the least common sense? Me, obviously. <laughs> Are you joking? What's your... Re- babe, I've got I thought, no common sense. I thought the clocks went back this week. <laughs> Is that Is common that, sense? I don't know if that's common sense. I know stuff like that. Oh, maybe, yeah. No, I that's what I was thinking. Maybe I've got more common sense. Common sense is like innate sense of like, yeah. I have none of that. All of mine is yeah. learned. Right, that's zero for three. Oh my God, right. we're bad at this. I know. Best sense of direction. Well, I know how bad I am at direction. But I don't know if you're any better. Um, best sense of direction. I know, I, I think I know that you're quite bad at this. No, maybe. Oh God. I'm not giving anything away. I'm going to say me. For the best sense direction. No. <laughs> yes, it is. You're right. Wait, what? Yeah. Best. You've got Did better. I... No, you have. No, you have. <laughs> Sarah, right. This is what I say about myself, right? I'm, I'm a bit of a, I, I usually know a little something about almost everything, right? Mm-hmm. I like to do that because I like to get involved in conversations and I like to get attention. Directions is, if you could, if you could list everything in the world, every skill, every, just everything, directions yeah. would be right at the bottom for me. Yes. I don't uh, know a single thing. Okay, yeah. Mine would be second above bottom and bottom would be geography. That's the same fucking thing. I know, but like, mine's <laughs> so what did, did we get that one wrong as well? Yeah. Jesus Christ, have we met? <laughs> right, best driver. Me. Yes. yes. <laughs> right, most laid back. Oh, this is a difficult one. I did think it was difficult, but I did make a decision. I think, <laughs> I think me. Yeah, I put you as well. I think yeah. I am pretty laid back, but because I'm with the least laid back person of all time, it sometimes rubs off on us. Exactly. Yeah, I've seen yeah. you get a bit flappy about things. Yeah, I'm flat. I get because I because I know Michael's not laid back. I don't want to yeah. be too laid back about him not being laid back. Otherwise, yeah. I'll get yeah. It's it's a it's a whole thing. Yes. Um, who breaks the who breaks wind the most? Who farts the most? Yeah. You. Yeah. Um, right. This one's really hard. Oh, God. Who drinks the most? Oh, shit. But again, I did come up with an answer. I think, I think it's got to be you. And yeah. I, yeah, I think it's a close call. But I think I live on my own, so it's very rare that I'll come in and just have a glass of wine. Whereas, you know, if you and Michael are just watching the telly, a glass of wine might is quite normal. I also think that even if me and you went out together every single night, I think on average I would have one more drink tonight than you. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And also I just said it's quite rare that I'll come in and have a glass of wine. <laughs> who, who lies the most? <laughs> <laughs> Both of us. <laughs> um, who wastes the most money? Oh God, we're both chronic money wasters. Shocking, but I did choose on this one. Why do I keep saying that? I chose on all of them, but obviously that's the name. <laughs> 
Imagine if you just like, I didn't bother with this one. <laughs> Whatever you say goes. Um, I do think it's probably me. Probably because you. you've, yeah, you've got things that you like need to pay for. And so you'll be more sensible. I mean, I obviously need to pay for like rent and stuff like that. But then also like, I love, I do love wasting money. It's probably my favorite thing to do. The only thing I waste money on though is alcohol. Alcohol. That's not a waste, not- babe. No, I know. That's how I see it. But I'm not a huge spender on anything else. Like if I didn't drink, I would be a bazillionaire. I, um, I don't even want to think about but it. But I think you're just a bit more like, oh, yeah, I'll just do that and not yeah. and, and not be bothered. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm still pretty bad at that. But I thought you pipped, pipped, the, pipped me at the post. Mm-hmm. All right. And then okay, actually, I'm going to do two more. <laughs> right. This one. Mm-hmm. Who's the funniest? Shit. Well, you know it's you, you bastard. <laughs> I said you. But you're lying. I'm not. I spoke to the listeners before and I said, you once made a joke about a pharmacist. <laughs> <laughs> and never, ever will I ever beat that joke. No, that's true. I, but I beat that joke at your birthday this year. What, what did you say again? Half a tea stained egg in the toilet. Oh, I'm that upset was that great. you don't remember it because that I do. Oh. I wrote, you, you know, I can tell you I remembered it because when I was mortal, I emailed it to my work email so I would remember. I'm gonna screenshot <laughs> that and put it on Instagram when we, um, the thing is, is that we were sober when I gave the pharmacist when I did the pharmacist joke. Yeah, the half a tea stained egg one, we were quite mortal, so it, it, I, I wasn't playing to the right crowd. We can't tell the pharmacist one because there's too much context, but what was the context of the tea stained egg one? I feel like we've ruined the punchline now. The tea stained egg one was that um, basically as an overshare, I can't eat ramen. It's one of my favourite foods, but I just can't eat it because it it passes straight through me. And at Paul's birthday dinner this year, one of our friends is a doctor and uh, we were sitting around the table and I don't know how we got into the topic of ramen, but that's what we were talking about. And I was saying, I love ramen, but I can't eat it because literally within three minutes of finishing the last noodle, um, I'm shitting through the eye of a needle. And she was like, well, that's quite, that's actually impossible. And I was like, well, it's not because I do it. And she's like, well, no, you just, you just can't do that. Your digestive tract just wouldn't work that fast. And I was like, babe, it happens to me. She was like, yeah, but what I'm saying to you as a medical professional is that it's impossible. And I said, well, you tell that to the half tea stained egg in the toilet. <laughs> I found the email that I said, you can't see it. I'll, I'll, I have screenshotted it and we need to remember to put that on Instagram. Um, and also Laura does listen to the podcast. And I think she'd mm. be um, upset at the way that you made her sound really pointed. Oh yeah, no, she was like, how are you, man? That's not how it fucking works. <laughs> That's not how it fucking works, man. Not a woman. I'm not trying to be a dickhead, but like, you can't <laughs> shit that fast after eating. That's way more like it. Um, She's right. a really good doctor, by the way. <laughs> um, right, so we've got five out of ten here. So I'm going to ask one more question. I haven't asked this one yet to myself, but I'm going to write my answer down now. Yep. Oh, God, I need to think about it, actually. Oh, I'm so happy that you think I'm funnier. I'm so happy you think I'm funnier and better looking. We really sound like we're fishing here, like. No, I know, but I genuinely think traditionally, I think I, I look a bit weird. I <laughs> think I look like I live in a burrow sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> like if I was 
like an a animal. <laughs> yeah, like if I was an animal, I would live in the woods. Not like a London borough. No, like no, not like a borough. Like an actual, <laughs> like a warren. But I'm fine with it. I tell you a story about my mole. So tell you a story about a warren if you want. <laughs> um, so I've got a mole on my chin. Not my chin. Well, I have got on my chin, but my most prominent mole is on my cheek. And obviously, when I was growing up, that was hard, and no one cared. And actually, <laughs> it's no, no, because. I never, it's not, I don't think it's quite big enough to be called Mully, Mully, Mully. But do you remember when that came out? <laughs> was it like Austin Powers or something? And um, I think I was just way more insecure about it than anyone else cared. Yes. So I decided that I would tell the doctor that it was in desperate need of an emergency removal because it was really itchy, which was a total lie. So I just scratched it in the mirror loads to try and make it like look like it needed some attention and then went to the doctor and was like, hmm my mole's like really cancerous or something and he was like uh okay yeah it looks like you the skin's broken I was like mm-hmm, yeah did that on its own and he so I was like can I just have it like lobbed off please and he said you would have to cut around it and that my face would be disfigured and honestly I was like <laughs> be like pinched in that might be worth it yeah he basically drew I remember him drawing a diagram and then like my face would just be like whoa but I was like mm, that could be better than the mole but now um oh. um I've grown to love, I love yeah, I love, love that him. Ball. Um, I'm just quite a moly person in general. Right. The last question is mm. who's the biggest attention seeker? I've written my answer down. Oh shit. You've done more attention seeking things, like the pointless. I'm giving nothing dan- away. And the dancing. But then when I it's when I'm drunk, I, I become insufferable trying to oh god, who's the biggest attention seeking me? All oh, right, okay. I think just because of our histories, you. <gasps> Yay! I've got me too! Yay! Yeah, and I think that's a good example. So, right, right, we've got six out of 11, more than half. We can stay best friends. Um, God. I think that you're right. When you're drunk, mm. to be honest, when I'm drunk, it doesn't make it doesn't me more of a attention seeker. Inflate, yeah. Nah, I'm, I, sometimes it does. I like to dance on the tube, which upsets people. And one yes. time I got a strip light out of a bin outside of Starbucks on Old Compton Street. This was probably at like 9pm and mm-hmm. put it between my legs and started dancing to people yeah. in the window. But I feel like I would do that normal normal times. Yeah. So, yeah. Whereas you, everyday life, you're not as attention-seeking as me, but when you're drunk. Mm-hmm. But I think... Even though we're drunk a lot, I think we're sober more of the time. So I think just as a general thing of being, I yeah. am the bigger attention seeker. Um, okay. All right. Excellent stuff. Next week, Paul, we're going to be reading our first non-fiction book. And we're going to be reading The Transgender Issue by Sean Fay, which was published in September of this year. And you already own a signed copy, I yeah. believe. It's, a, uh, well, I don't actually know too much about it because I've not started reading it yet, but I believe it's looking at transgender issues in the UK and nowhere else. Is that right? Are you asking us? Yeah. Uh, I am. Um, I think so. Yeah. I don't know, well, though. Sean is from the UK. Anyway, yeah. when I was thinking about the drink, I had a little look on the Stonewall website. Why are you giving me that look? No, I'm just excited. Oh, right. I thought you were like, I thought Stonewall was cancelled for a hot minute then. No, well, it, to be honest, it is by people who don't like Sean Fay. So we do. So. Right. Okay. Why would people not like Sean Fay? Because they're transphobic. Well, yeah, because there's. there's oh, you know, within the LGBTQ. Right. But there's been this year quite a lot of literature around transgender identities, and Sean mm. Fay is very much on 
one side of the argument mm-hmm. and there have been other things that have come out very much on the other side of the argument the turf side who hate mm. Stonewall the JK right. Rowland side if you will um and but yes. by the way I'm not saying I'm, I'm not given any um credence to the other side of the argument I'm not saying that there are two sides here I thought you were gonna say I'm not gonna give an opinion on it I was like oh, no 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 I very much this. am giving an opinion on it but what I'm saying right. is people see it as as anyway we'll talk about it next week yes um anyway so I thought about it for a while I thought about different things and different meanings but I've just I just had a little look on the history especially well of LGBTQI plus movements in the UK um, and like, well, milestones in the UK. And then in 1951, I'm sure you, it's the first one that's on the page anyway, but I'm sure you already know this. Roberta Cowell was the first known British trans woman to undergo reassignment surgery and have her birth certificate changed. So I thought, what is a popular drink of the 1950s? Googled it. Uh-huh. Vodka, martini. Vodka martini pool. Oh, yeah, really? Yeah. Oh, that's exciting. Are you going to have a dirty? With a bit of brine in it? Yeah. Absolutely. Also, a vodka martini is a dirty martini. Mm, don't know if that's true. It is. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's dirty because you're not having gin. No, the dirty part is the brine. Right, well, Google it. <laughs> I'm wrong. <laughs> vodka martini was actually just invented by James Bond, really. Oh, martini. I feel like he'd be a huge transphobe. Oh, probably. I mean, he's not real. That's true. Thank God. Thank God, otherwise it'd be a right transphobe. So um, we're having dirty martinis. Fabulous. Cannot yeah. wait. I've never um, had one. Have you not? Nah, I'm excited. I'm very, very, very excited. I've always imagined myself sipping a dirty martini at a bar in New York and it's maybe like 11.30pm and I'm wearing a little black, black dress and I'm by myself and somehow I've got fantastic tanned toned legs and Ooh, maybe a pink And then <sighs> somebody comes in and they say, can I get you a drink? And I say, no, thanks. I've already got my own. Oh, brilliant. That's well, just what, what- what I would say, what I'd suggest is I would ease yourself in with a couple through the week because I there's no way that I wasn't going to be liking these because I needed to like them for attention. And yeah, I'm, they're a big attention drink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm there. I'm there now. I really like them, but it did take a couple of times before. So it's a bit like, um, what else do you need? It? I'm thinking like, no, I can't say that. <laughs> what were you going to say? I was going to say it anyway. Right. <laughs> I'm going to be drinking these throughout the week. Yeah, but with, with a martini as well, please. Yeah, we'll do. Dirty. I once, the last, on my birthday, yeah. went to a bar and I got a dirty martini. And she was like, do you want it dirty or very dirty? And I was like, oh, very dirty. And she was like, in here we call that filthy dirty. Oh. <laughs> I was like, yes, filthy dirty martini, please. <laughs> Fabulous. Uh. Hey, God. Right. right. Okay. I'm going to go and revise you. Since we only got six out of eleven, mm, there mm. they were. I picked all the hardest ones. To be fair, where we were all pretty even. But I then would it's say. like you always on the questions on Mister and Mrs. It's always like, what's Paul's favorite takeaway? Yeah, and I would say your favorite takeaway is a Chinese. It is. Yay! There you go. Yeah, there we go. We do know each other. Woo! We know those ones. Way <laughs> right. Um. Okay. Right. I'll speak to you soon, my babes. Speak to you next week. Love you. Love you. Bye. Bye. Thank you.